I wanted to start this morning with a brief news story. This is the version that was carried by CNN, but it was carried by a whole bunch of different networks around the world that has to do with the start of the school year in France. France will ban school children from wearing abayas ahead of the upcoming academic year, the government has said. The latest in a series of contentious restrictions in the country on clothing associated with Muslims. French Education Minister Gabriel Attal said the long, robe-like garments, often worn by Muslim women, wouldn't be permitted in the nation's schools from the new term, which starts in September. Schools of the Republic are built on very strong values and principles, especially laïcité, he told TV network TF1. For me, laïcité, when put in the framework of a school, is very clear. You enter a classroom, and you must not be able to identify the religious identity of students just by looking at them. And that's the line I want to draw your attention to this morning as we reflect on the Lord's words through the Apostle Paul. You must not be able to identify the religious identity of students just by looking at them. What about Christians? How do people know that we are followers of Jesus Christ, baptized in the waters where God has reconciled us to himself? We know in our neighborhood who the Sikhs are because the men wear turbans and the women's last names are Kaur. We know who the Muslims are in our neighborhood, especially the women, because they are the ones who are wearing hijabs, niqabs, burqas, or abayas. We definitely know who the Jews are in Mile End, right, Stone family? Because the men are the one with the big hats and the long black coats, even when it's 35 degrees Celsius outside. And the women always have the same kind of dress and the same wigs. But what about Christians? How do people know that we are members of the body of Christ? As I said in our catechism lesson for this morning, if you ask the average Quebecer whether they believe in God, most say no. But then if you follow up and say, what religion are you? The vast majority of them say Catholic. They're like atheistic Catholics, if you can imagine that. Obviously, they're Catholics because they're Quebecers and they're Quebecers because they're Catholics, right? And how do you know that you're a Quebecer? Because you're Catholic and you speak French. But what does Catholic look like, especially if you don't believe in God or go to Mass? Are you Catholic because you wear a crucifix? Are you Catholic because you have a smudge of black on your forehead on Ash Wednesday? What sets you apart? Indians, many of them, not all of them, are Hindu. Iranians, not all of them, but many of them are Muslim. And a lot of people that come from those countries and then interact with me or maybe some of you assume that Canada is Christian because they see where they're coming from. But then they look around at what Canadians wear. They look around at the way Canadians talk. They look at what we watch on TV or what kind of films we value. And they start to ask, oh, is this really what it means to be Christian? If people look at Canada or Quebec and say, this must be a Christian country because I come from a country that's Hindu or Muslim, 
then it's no wonder they must wonder about Jesus's teachings because they're looking to see if we look like followers of Jesus Christ. Now, there's certainly some Christians who have tried to set themselves apart by what they wear. Those of you who have been to Pennsylvania or the area outside Kitchener-Waterloo or even areas out west have run into Mennonites or Amish, Steinbach, the area of southern Manitoba. You have people that wear a very distinctive dress and you can say, yes, they are the Amish. They're the Mennonites. Dukabors of Alberta used to very distinctive dress, called themselves out. More and more, even within our Lutheran tradition. Our younger pastors have been encouraging their wives to cover their heads when they go to worship. So you can say, aha, there is a confessional Lutheran because the mother of all these kids is wearing a veil during the service. Some people try and wear crosses. Some people dress modestly in an effort to show some physical sign that they are members of the body of Christ. But when we do that, doesn't that just make us like everybody else? Hindus wear one thing, Muslims wear another thing, and Christians wear this. Aren't we trying to show that we are Christians simply by what we have on the outside? And isn't that what got people in trouble with God in the first place? That it was all outward show. That it was all what you saw with your eyes, but it was not things that you heard with your ears or saw people actually doing. It's easy to put on a cross. You just slip it over your head. It's easy to dress modestly. You just have to go and shop at Winners. Being Christian, much more difficult. Even the attempt to just look like everybody else, say, well, we're Christian, we're just going to blend in, doesn't always work and isn't always the answer. I remember going to a mission conference just outside Houston, Texas, which is where I was serving at the time. And Francis Chan, who is a very famous evangelical church planter from California, was there speaking to us all. And for a while, he was in Hong Kong and was trying to work with different businessmen and convince them of the truth of Christianity and that God was present in Jesus Christ, reconciling the world to himself. There was one particular entrepreneur who, no matter how many times he invited him to come to worship or gave him Bibles or talked about basic Christian beliefs, still insisted on going to the Buddhist temple. And finally, Francis asked him, he said, what? Why, why won't you give Christianity a chance? The man thought about it and he said, when I see a Buddhist monk dressed in their flowing robes with their bald head, says, I see a holy man. When I see a Protestant pastor dressed in an open collar and a suit coat, just like everybody else, I see a businessman. So no matter what we try to wear, no matter how we try to look, that isn't the answer. So how are people going to know we are Christians? Not from the outside. They will only know by what bubbles up from inside, from our hearts. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. These are things that cannot be seen by the kind of tie that you wear or the cut of your dress or how much makeup you do or do not have on. This is an entirely different way of identifying someone as a follower of a particular God. And yes, it is much, much, much more difficult than putting on a headscarf or even putting a cross around your neck. It is the things we do and value, the way we interact with those who are our friends and those who are our enemies, the way we handle it when people curse us and persecute us that make us different from the rest of the world. The truth of the reality is whether you are a Sikh or a Hindu, a Muslim or an atheist, If you see a Christian behaving as Paul outlines, as the Lord outlines in that letter to Romans, you see somebody who is insane. Completely out of step with the reality of the world. If you come after me, I will come after you. That's the motto of the world. God helps those who help themselves. Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? You can get much further with a kind word and a gun than with a kind word alone. So said Al Capone. If a man is dumb, someone is going to get the best of him. So why not you? Another mafia lord from American history. And of course, my personal favorite, do unto others before they do unto you. That's how you get ahead, right? That's how you climb the corporate ladder. That's how you get an A in your class over top of everybody else. Only suckers bend to hard work when you can just borrow what the friends around you are working on. That's how the world works. That is what our sinful nature tells us we ought to do. And here is the Lord saying, this is how you are going to be seen as different. You are not going to march to the beat of that drummer. You are not going to follow that Pied Piper through the streets. You are going to demonstrate to the world that you are mine, not by what you wear or how you look, but by how you act and what you say. I was doing some visits this week with our deaconess intern, Anna, and our, our last visit, I was sharing this text. I often use the epistle and the gospel text for the coming Sunday. It's like trying out some things as people that you're on a visit with and see where the Lord might be moving in the, the world this day. And when I, I read this particular text, the person I was sharing with, with said, Pastor, that's really hard. I said, you're right. Putting on clothes is easy. Loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, never seeking vengeance. You might as well ask somebody to take up a cross and be crucified. Oh yeah, about that. That's what Jesus means when he says, take up your cross and follow me. He isn't saying, suffer pain and scourging and nails through your hands. 
What he means is suffer the ridicule of the world by living as I have lived and died for you. As I have done that you might be delivered from sin, death, and the devil. That you might suffer the same things I did before the people. Crucify him. Give us the son of the father, Barabbas, the rebel, the murderer, because he'll show us how to get back at Rome. He'll show us how to take vengeance. He'll show us what we do when people come after us, that we go after him. We don't want this one. Behold the man. He's weak and he's not fighting back. So you say that you're a king. Jesus said to Pilate, you say that I am a king, but I have come to testify to the truth. (laughs) Truth. Nobody gets ahead by searching for truth. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow him. He's saying, live the kind of life that Paul talks about in Romans. Because it's shameful in front of a world that sees all of these things, loving your enemies, doing good to those who persecute you as crazy, as insane. There is a famous graffiti that I've mentioned before many sermons, many pastors have, was found in the Roman Empire's catacombs. Now, obviously, there was a soldier or somebody that was in jail there probably doing their prayers and somebody in the next cell over was carving into the wall of their cell, a picture of what was happening in the next cell over. And it was a man kneeling down crudely carved in front of a guy on a cross with the head of an ass of a donkey. And the inscription says, Alex Samanos worships his God. Ha ha ha. Alexamenos knew what it meant to pick up his cross and follow, which is to see in that man dying on the cross, his God dying for him, suffering for him, being shamed for him, that he might have eternal life, that he might know that God has forgiven him and reconciled him, that he might do what we just sang about in our sermon hymn, forgive our sins as we forgive. You taught us, Lord, to say for you alone can help us have the words to say. To be conformed to Christ is to be cross bearers, to see shame as honor and defeat as victory. It's why Peter is called Satan by Jesus, because Peter would prefer Jesus to be revealed as the son of God in a worldly way, with glory, with a crown, with a throne, with a scepter, with an army. Not to be shown forth as the reigning king from a cross. But Jesus is revealed to the world as one who saves his enemies by dying for them rather than destroying them. And the Holy Spirit that has given you faith in that Jesus as your God is alive in you and I, so that when we hear what the Lord speaks through Paul, our inward appearance might be changed. That's why Paul uses all these illustrations about taking off the old clothes, putting on the new clothes from the inside, taking out the old heart, putting in a new heart. The Holy Spirit is at work in each and every one of us in a massive renovation project that the Lord who has saved us might become the image in here. It's the final thought from um, 
one of my good friends from seminary, Dr. Peter Mollish, who teaches at uh, Sanford's uh, Beeson Divinity School in Alabama. And he posted two excerpts on Facebook from writings of early church fathers, one from before the time when the Roman Empire became Christian and one from after. The one that came before was from Tertullian, who was the church father who first used the word Trinity. And Tertullian writes, begging that the Roman authorities allow Christians to freely practice their faith. We are doing you no harm, he writes. We are loving our neighbors as ourselves. We are not persecuting anyone. Why go after us? But then after Rome became Christian and adopted the faith as its official religion, a very different kind of writing from a very different kind of Christian who insisted that Rome forcibly convert everyone in the empire to Christianity at the point of a sword. How quickly we become the very thing we have been told not to be. On Facebook, I responded to Peter by saying, we always become the thing we hate. Because who wants to take up their cross? Jesus does. Jesus did. And he calls us to be known not by what we wear, but by whose we are. And if Jesus could forgive his enemies, so can we. After all, he forgave us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.